This is the Talking Property Podcast, brought to you by Rewed.com, the home of WA Real Estate. Thank you for listening to Talking Property, the show in which we discuss all aspects of real estate. Now, here is your host, Harvey Deegan, together with our expert commentators, Rob Druitt and Rod Bryan. Welcome everyone to Talking Property and you may recall that on our last podcast we had a chat to Paul Donovan and Helen Burnside from MDS Legal. Well, Rob Druitt and Rod Ryan, we have got them back because there is so much interesting information from the legal perspective in property. Yes, we'll be talking about a very interesting subject called stigmatised properties. Mm, okay. Nothing to do with the stigmatism in your eye? Well, it's sort of similar in a sense it, it can be a pain, yes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and we're heading up to York for Agents Corner to talk to Michael Watts from Elders Real Estate in York. Yes, we're going to find out what's new in that area up there, so it should be good. He's a real character, Michael. Talking now with Paul Donovan and Helen Burnside from MDS Legal. Welcome to Talking Property, folks. Great Hi. to be yeah, here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Well, as sensitive as this topic might be, but you're in the uh, in the game of looking after the legal ramifications of property sales. The history of a particular property, not talking about the bricks and mortar or cracks or anything else like that, but a house, for example, where there had been perhaps a murder or a suicide, what is the extent of disclosure that has to be made in these situations? That's a really good question, Harvey, and it's one that has really vexed a lot of the courts around the world in recent years, because in the way that we said that now there's this greater obligation upon disclosure, the psychological overlay or psychological defects of properties, as sometimes they're called, what's the impact of them, whether it be the places said to be haunted or people suicided within them or, or murders. And there was a very high profile case involving the Gonzales family in the eastern states a number of years ago that was came up with some principles when this ultimately got to court when the real estate agent was, uh, was charged in relation to breaching various regulations. But in short, a son had killed his parents and his sister in a very, very, very gruesome murder. And initially the son said that someone had broken into the house, etc. And it turned out that was the case he was the murderer so he was charged he was convicted they put the property on the market and people came to buy the property and i think that they were buddhists and they purchased the property seeing the place was in a bit of disarray and asked the real estate agent what was the score there was things like fingerprint dust dust on window sills and all sorts of things and the real estate agent said well they've moved interstate and of course hid the fact that there was Straight out lie. Uh, uh, I murder. And that all became clear and ultimately the purchasers were able to get out of the transaction and the real estate agent was taken to the cleaner. And from that, it really focused on this idea of the need to disclose a material fact. And there's various criteria and it depends upon the circumstances as to what's material, but things like it's going to have an impact upon the value of the property, things like it might be particularly sensitive for a particular group within the society because of religious beliefs and those sorts of things. 
And again, they have to be disclosed. So things like a suicide, for example, can be can be difficult to sort of judge. It doesn't mean that if someone suicided 150 years ago, it necessarily has to be disclosed. But if it's notorious and it would have a, an impact on the property, that's something that you do need to take a lot of care of if you're selling. Helen, we had a matter a few years ago, you remember, where a real estate agent was being investigated by the relevant department then for not having disclosed the fact that there'd been a hanging. In that case, the department was considering prosecuting the real estate agent for breaches of the code. We put a submission towards them and to argue that in this case, the suicide wasn't a material fact, it wasn't particularly notorious and so on. And ultimately, the department elected not to prosecute in that case. However, you've got to consider that that's something that might happen in the future, that the department might look at this and there might be a suicide that's slightly different. Yeah, so it uh, falls within that sort of grey area, doesn't it? Yeah, so for example with the Gonzales case, it was extremely gruesome murder and it's quite obviously something that should be disclosed and the real estate agent there did more than just fail to disclose it. They actually actively lied about you know, why there was fingerprint dust there and so on. So suicide somewhere more in, in the middle there might be circumstances where that is something that should be disclosed, so agents should be mindful of it. To me, it seems that, going back to suicides, that an agent would be caught really between a rock and a hard place because if there was a suicide, how is a real estate agent who's not skilled in legalities able to second guess whether or not he or she might be liable to prosecution for not disclosing that. How does the real estate agent determine whether or not it's significant enough for non-disclosure that he or she may well be prosecuted? Well, it's something that probably a real estate agent, though, is going to be in a better position than most to know, is that the sort of thing that's going to have an impact on price? And that's the thing that I'd be asking myself. Now, it will depend upon different real estate agents having a different aspect towards or a different view towards risk, but most, I think, would be fairly cautious about it. The other thing, of course, is murders and particularly these days, drug use in, in houses. We had one relatively recently, Helen, you'll recall, where a place had been used as a meth lab and there'd been a murder. Perhaps you might relate what occurred with that. Yeah, well, so our client purchased this property not knowing that there'd been a murder that took place there, a relatively violent murder, though, of course, all murders are violent. <laughs> and Oops, she, she rented it out and she didn't know anything about the background and and this all came to light as often does happen in these cases is where the tenants were having a conversation with the neighbours and the neighbours said oh you know that house with that terrible murder and the tenant said wait what? One of the tenants then refused to sleep another night in the house and moved. They were able to break the lease. They were obviously, the tenants felt very aggrieved at our client because she hadn't disclosed to them about this murder. She, of course, didn't know. Um, she then, so the, the tenants left. She couldn't relet the property easily. She listed the property for sale and had to, of course, then disclose to the sellers that there had been this murder and was not able to recoup the amount that she'd spent on it. However, she did have recourse against the seller, the person who sold it to her, for failing to disclose that fact for her and was able to bring action against them but that's an example of the sort of way these things can turn out yeah and can wind up in courts so could i ask you a purely hypothetical question so there's a hypothetical agent who sells property in woodlands area <laughs> and we go back to 2011 and uh, property was sold and very good looking fellow uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, i thought he was talking about himself for a moment. <laughs> and and then there's a body was found buried in the back patio area and that was not disclosed to the buyer do you think i'm in trouble for doing that probably <laughs> oh there is yeah, one of the two 
material. You buried the body, by the way. No, no, I definitely didn't. Oh, there's one very important material fact. I didn't know. <laughs> and nobody else knew. Yeah. So what actually happened was we sold this home in Woodlands. I sold it to another real estate agent, actually. And that real estate agent was very smart, went and had it to survey strated, which was a very good idea because then it could be subdivided and uh, then resold it to another buyer who then proceeded to demolish the house. And of course, it was at that stage when they demolished the house that the body was dug up. Yes, uh, yeah. Quite a prominent case in Western Australia. They found out who was responsible for it. And I think they had they were living in Tasmania or something, but this was like 30 years ago. So it was difficult for them to then bring that person back to Western Australia. So yeah, a, a terrible situation for our tenant who rented the property, the poor buyers, the second lot of buyers who then bought it. But obviously nobody knew about it until it actually was discovered. Yes, and certainly to the extent that you can be fined and there are issues that arise under the Australian consumer law, when you have a reason for not knowing, as in, you know, you weren't aware of the event occurring, then that can be a defence. So that's not going to catch you. But of course, the problem is when you know of something and one can ask the question, what happens if there's something that might have an impact upon price, but might actually be something that is far-fetched or crazy, like, you know, places haunted, for example. Well, most people are probably these days not going to be believing in ghosts, but enough might Some people believe might. in it that it's going to have an impact upon the value of the house because it's notorious, or it might be because someone's being prejudiced. It might be that there's people living next door who come from a particular ethnic group. They can be very, very grey areas. Certainly, so far as an ethnic group is concerned, you can't be running around sort of disclosing that fact because you'd be breaching anti-discrimination laws. But on the other hand, to go back to an earlier question, if someone is a rowdy neighbour, well, you're talking about them being rowdy and obnoxious and violent, perhaps, rather than them being an ethnic group. I think there's a lot more we can discuss about this another time, because the the whole idea or this concept of stigmatised properties is a, is a very complex one, and where you, you draw the line. And, you know, we do come across it as agents. I had one where there was a suicide in the backyard. Best to disclose that, obviously. The house was going to be demolished anyway. So in the end, I looked at it and I thought, well, it had to be fully disclosed, and it was and 50% of people I'd say couldn't care less yeah. but it was a point of negotiation for them to get it at a better price and probably the other 50% were concerned about it but you're right I mean the bottom line is as an agent you've just got to take a position and say it is going to have an impact therefore it must be disclosed yeah and look the same advice goes to the seller in the first instance that the seller has to be conscious of these sorts of things and be cautious because whatever you're going to have by way of drop of price it's probably going to be minuscule if you finish up being sued and you've got to be dealing with lawyers mm. indeed thanks for joining us again, how do we get in touch with MDS Legal? You can look us up on the web mdslegal.com.au or you can give us a call on 9325 9353. Great to have you on the show. Thanks to both of you, Paul Donovan and Helen Burnside. We will talk again soon on Talking Property. Find your next home in WA the easy way with the Rewa.com app. Keep the WA property market in the palm of your hand. Download the Rewa.com app today from the App Store or Google Play. With the Rewa.com app, you can find your next home with all the latest properties right at your fingertips. Download the Rewa.com app today. 
The latest properties in WA are there, right at your fingertips. So find the local agent, the right local agent for you by using the rewire.com app to search and compare real estate agents in WA. We here at Talking Property are very, very proud that rewire.com are our major supporters. Agents Corner time and we are heading for the historic town of York and a real identity up York Way is Michael Watts. How you doing Michael? I'm well thank you. It's a little bit cooler today than what we had on the weekend. Yes we've been experiencing some warm weather but having been born in this town many many years ago, 73 years ago, I've seen Lots of hot and cold days here. Mm. A bit like the real estate market. And we ask everybody, of course, how COVID has impacted on them. What's it been like up York Way? To be very truthful, we don't realise how lucky and how spoiled we are. It has made no difference. I've got a mandatory contact register here next to my desk where people come in and if they're going to talk to me, I take their details. However, we've not seen one person up and down the street with a mask. It was a very different experience until when, when we had the initial intrastate borders locked down and we had a barrier at the lakes and so we were not mm. able to travel to Perth or vice versa without a good reason. But as soon as that barrier was lifted at the lakes, the town just changed instantly and has never been busier as far as visitors and population in the town goes, I mean, it's been really, really busy and it now has fortunately translated into some good real estate sales as well. So long time before happening. What are your stock levels like in York? Houses, mm. plenty, plenty. Rural stuff, we cannot get anything at all. Most of the farms really seem to be sold over the fence to neighbours. We get lots of inquiry. There's people wanting to buy rural land in the district, but it's fairly tightly held. And consequently, you know, there's not a lot of rural sales go through. Michael, leading up to 2020, which, as we all know, was an amazing year, but you had a similar, I imagine York had a similar run in the last five years as we saw through metropolitan Perth and other regional areas with a pretty tough market, oversupply and under-demand? Very much so. Half of the town... Well, it seemed as though half of the town was for sale. Sales were slow because it got falsely inflated some, I guess, nearly 10 years ago. And it's only now, or in the latter part of last year, started to peg back to where it should really have been, which has always been very confusing for banks and valuers when they're wanting to know what properties are worth. And of course, who do they ask for advice or opinions from? But the local real estate agent. So... It's, it was very, very tricky. As I indicated earlier on, the latter part of 2020 was really, really a tough market. And I know from some peers in the metro area, they said it was similar there. But since the turn of the new year of 2021, we have been having difficulty in keeping up 
with the workload quite tradefully. It's been very, very good. Michael, Rod Ryan speaking. As you know, mate, I've um, I've got some interest in rural properties in Beverly and so on, but I, I see a lot of your signs up and you seem to me to be doing quite well and I love going into your office, mate, particularly in the middle of the winter where that fireplace is going. But um, it's... Um, I, I, I'm surprised that that's a little bit different. I think you'd agree, Rob, wouldn't you? That from what we've experienced, like yeah, very like, much so. Yeah, yeah. Metro, we, we, close to Metro was yeah. really starting to. For us, what happened was that oh. at the end of 2019, uh, we were all of a sudden things started to spark up a little bit around about the November, December, and then they continued on in the January and the February, and then we hit March, which we, you know, uh, was pretty horrible for a few months, and then uh, right about the time that they would have got rid of that border, if you like, or the barriers up at the lakes there, which I'm also familiar with. Um, things really started to move for us in in town, and uh, and we've yeah we we had a, a to be honest probably one of the best years that we that well, the I've experienced. Half of the year was the complete opposite to the first half. Yeah, and now now what's happened is that we've starting off into. 2021, and our biggest problem is we don't have the we don't have the listings. And um, but if we if we had them, we could sell them. But yeah, but I, the uh, and one other question I'd just like to ask you: acreage prices in York it depends on the holding, I suppose. But well, yeah, a lot of it is to do with on on the holding. Prices have been strong, and any good broad acre land has to be in excess of $2,000 an acre. Smaller holdings uh, obviously keep creeping up. Mm. I sold 100 acres of farming land, totally cleared, um, no infrastructure, just a windmill. Right. Uh, I sold that approximately a month ago for $400,000 for a 100-acre lot. Mm. So that sort of is a bit of a, a record price. Gee. But they're few and far between, and the average neighbour won't pay that sort of money mm. for an add-on block because they can't see the value in it yeah. until they've missed it, and then they realise that maybe they should have bought it. So this was to an out-of-town person who has bought it as a long-term hold. They will possibly lease it uh, in the short term, and then may come up and develop it as time goes on. Getting stock in broad acres is very, very difficult at the moment. 100 acre hobby blocks, there's lots of them around and anywhere between 20 and, and 100 acres, there's more than you can poke a stick at. Uh, however, it's still a matter of getting them at a realistic price because a lot of people still believe that their property is worth more than it really is. Michael, looking at your website at uh, Elders Real Estate in York, seems to me there are some very, very reasonably priced properties there. There's a bit of a trend that other people have mentioned to us in regards to people who've retired and who are downsizing. Have you experienced anything like that in York, people from the big smoke, if you like, uh, downsizing and going to York? Two ways. People from the big smoke are uh, wanting a quieter lifestyle with a sick of crime and antisocial behaviour. And the good thing about York is that it's only an hour and a half comfortable drive from Perth. We are experiencing farmers from much further east wanting to come close to civilisation. And so they're selling three, four, five thousand acres and coming down to a couple of hundred acres with a decent house and a few sheds on that they can still play farmers and yet be close to 
to the city more for health reasons more than any. They, they want to be close to uh, good hospitals and or doctors, etc. Whilst we've got a plethora of doctors here in York, we've got five doctors and, um, you know, we're spoiled. But a lot of farmers are of an age where the farm is too much for them. They have handed it on to younger family members and they're really now surplus to requirements. So the, the old timers may be needed once in a while to take the, uh, the, the truck into the wheat bins to unload some grain. Uh, but basically that's about it. So a lot of them are, are just coming off the land and still wanting to play farmers. Michael, just one other question in regard to like the sales. Has there been any like uh, foreign ownership purchases much at all? Have you noticed that? Or? Not one, fortunately. It's very interesting. There were about approximately 10 years ago, there was a, a Malaysian company that bought quite a lot of land around here at some yeah. fairly good prices. They paid premiums. That company has been in existence in WA for many years right. and has large land holdings down south and uh, up towards Geraldton. But we really haven't had anything here. We have had people from Perth paying premiums for good properties, well-priced, etc. Um, but it's more for lifestyle. They, they're prepared to pay the money if, it, if it's got all of the comforts that they want. Mm. Um, these buyers are not prepared to put up with second best. Michael, I noticed on your website you had a great sale back in September, $1.7 million near York. What was that? Sorry, I, I didn't hear that. Uh, I, Michael, I noticed you had on your uh, website a sale last September of $1.7 million for a property near York. Tell us a bit about that. That's, that was obviously a very nice that lifestyle was property. a 100-acre property approximately 10 kilometres west of York, 100 acres adjoining the other block that I just spoke about. Must have had it, a lot of improvements. Um, it's a great very price. early property called Garden Valley, which was originally the first market garden in York, and it had two houses on it, very large infrastructure, 600 reticulated grapevines, a heritage mud brick shearing shed, uh, which is actually still able to be used, and a very, very well-maintained property. I had three buyers wanting that. So, yes, it sold for one, $1.7 million. And approximately two months earlier than that, I had another five-acre property in York with a two-storey heritage-listed house on the river, and that sold for $1.85 million. And again, that was to an out-of-Perth buyer who actually had an affinity with York because one of the buyers was born here 80 years ago and uh, they wanted to come home to roost. So there has been some very good sales, yes, um, but to very special and qualified buyers. Michael, we're just about out of time. At the risk of embarrassing you terribly, just digressing for a moment, you are a well-known identity and renowned for the community work that you do in York. And on a personal note, you're a neighbour of uh, one of my great mates in Darcy Farrell. And I'd just like to say thank you on behalf of all of Darcy's friends for the way that you look out for him. Darcy is, uh, well, he's getting on in years, our Darcy. And you check in on him every single day. And for that, we're very, very 
very grateful, Michael. He is a font of knowledge. He is a very special person, and you know his history and what his beginnings were in the TV scene. And he is just the pleasure of a gentleman, and I do see him every day, and I've had an email from him today, and I've been seeing him in a couple of hours' time, and we look out for each other, and he is good. But he's got a lot of dear friends up here, as well as people like yourself in Perth too. So what, that's what it's all about. We've got a great community here. You certainly do. Elders Real Estate in York, how do people get in touch with you? Best number would be my mobile, which is 0417 or I have an email which is simply michael.watts at elders.com.au. Excellent, Michael. Great to talk to you on Talking Property, and we'll do so again in the future. Take care. Thanks, Michael. I look forward to it any time I can help. Thank all, you. All the best, okay. Mike. See you. Bye. You've been listening to another edition of Talking Property Podcast and once again we delved into a lot of legal ramifications with Paul Donovan and Helen Burnside. We covered a lot of ground. Yes, but I think we've only just scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah, uh, they could be on every week. They yeah, really could. That's the, it's such an interesting subject, uh, stigmatised properties and where you draw the line and what information should be disclosed and how different people see it in different ways. So yes, I think we need to talk to them again about that another time. We certainly will and uh, I found it fascinating talking to uh, Michael Watts with the situation up in York. Regional real estate in WA is a fascinating subject. Well he's been doing it for 50 years so he certainly knows what he's talking about, put it that way. Indeed. Well you've been listening to Talking Property, proudly supported by rewa.com.au and where can you find us? On talkingproperty.net.au or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Anchor. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Talking Property with Harvey Deegan, Rob Jewett and Rod Ryan.